Now in partnership with the new Westport Library and the Quick Center for the Arts, it's Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast with me, Trace Burroughs. And me, Migs Burroughs. And um, we're on iTunes now, which is great. Uh, and your Apple podcast app. And I think it's fair to say we are blessed to have our very special guest today, Allison Patton, who's the pastor of Saugatuck Congregational Church. So welcome, Allison. Thank you. It's good to be here. And I have one little anecdote. I don't know. Well, Trace was just born in 1950, but our family moved here. I have a faint memory of seeing the church being moved across the street. Oh, wow. Um, I think the family got in the car. Well, Trace, I don't no, you weren't. Uh, it, was in, it was moved in August. So you were born in October. So, okay, so you weren't there yet. <laughs> I wouldn't remember. But anyway, it was phenomenal. It was on the cover of Life magazine, right? It was, and we have framed pictures of that two-page spread hanging in the church. It was a really significant moment for the congregation. Yeah, yeah it was quite a spectacle. Rumor has it that the pastor at the time wanted to ride up in the steeple while the church was rolling down. <laughs> but, really? uh, but the local fire chief wouldn't allow it. Oh, what a photo op that would have been, right? Right? Yeah. Well, let's just start off with you're on the website. It is, I think, very unusual and very kind of comforting. You, you said uh, in your message from the pastor, if you are a seeker, a doubter, a quester, welcome. Why would you welcome those people? <laughs> oh my gosh, why would we not? I, I'm so glad to hear that that's, that is um, a, a comforting or encouraging message because that's our hope. You know, we're in the questions business. And uh, unfortunately, the church sometimes has a reputation and sometimes... Uh, owns the reputation for having all the answers. I think that we are about uh, digging deep and asking the most urgent questions uh, that inform our lives together. So we are a questing people, we all are. We're trying to understand what it means to be human, uh, what it means to find love and hope in the world, how to mend the broken places and and how the the divine the holy mystery the one some of us call god has a role in all of that uh, so i'm in this work because i'm compelled by those questions and there's nothing better than being in conversation with others who are thinking and feeling deeply as well what point in, what point in your life did you think that you wanted to be a pastor? How did that happen? <laughs> Trace, it's a great question. And it's, uh, um, I laugh because both of my parents are ordained ministers in the United Church of Christ, which is my denomination. So I was raised what's called a PK or a pastor's kid squared, right? <laughs> Two of them, which means that I was really clear that I was not going to be a minister for the first 18 years of my life. I knew I wanted to do something meaningful in the world. I knew I wanted to be in community and make a difference. Uh, so I majored in psychology and in theater arts. 
and uh, then as a young adult began to feel a, a tug towards ordained ministry and and in particular towards uh, exploring the boundaries that divide us and the things that connect us. So as a young adult, I really wanted to be in the places where we could uh, work on building connections, cross-cultural connections in particular. So, yeah. And you do that with Bridgeport as well as other communities, right? So Sakatuck Church has had some history in, in Bridgeport. We, we also, as, as Migs knows, have a commitment to, to traveling a little further afield every year with many of our high school youth, uh, connecting with people in uh, communities that are far flung. Migs joined us when we traveled to Cuba a few years back. We've spent time on a, a Navajo reservation. And uh, where else have we been? In, in Denver, Colorado. And... Uh, so a, a range of places, and we try always to go to those places with the focus on learning from other communities. Certainly, our young people are getting an opportunity to do some volunteer work, to do some service, uh, but we always emphasize, uh, to put it in the language of my community, that wherever we're going, God is already there. So we don't travel for the purpose of, of teaching folks something important. We go because we believe that we are um, somehow bound up with the folks in other communities and, and need to learn from them and also are, are in it with them. You know, whatever the it is, mm-hmm. whatever the, the grand struggle is, we, we share that struggle. Um, I don't actually believe in individual salvation, which is a very churchy word, but I'm a lot more interested in the claim that, that however we are saved, whatever that looks like, however we're liberated, um, we, it happens to us together or not at all. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, part one of the great takeaways in that trip to Cuba was here I am, you know, and it was kind of last minute being a chaperone, substitute chaperone for 25 high school kids. And of course, I'm thinking, what what did I get myself into? This is going to be like just such a zoo. But um, they were, yeah, they're good kids to begin with. But it, it was really heartening to see their, to look around and realize where, where they get some perspective of, of the world, you know, and be out of the bubble, the Fairfield County bubble. Um, and they were so great. I mean, one of the most touching ones was when they were at the orphanage and two of the kids just started they didn't know that they didn't speak Spanish, our kid, these two kids, but they had a soccer ball or the, or the orphanage had a soccer ball. And there they are just out in the street playing soccer and just not, they didn't have to speak, you know, they just did their thing. I'm kind of, I'm really ignorant on a lot of uh, church things. Um, so what, what's the difference between a pastor and a minister? Uh, so, so none in my tradition, um, they're, they're synonymous. The, the formal, the formal language is the language of ordination. I'm an ordained minister. So that's my, um, my title and my credential, right? Is that I'm an ordained minister. I earned a degree and went through a a process in my denomination that led to my being, 
authorized by the church to serve in this role. Uh, pastor is used uh, interchangeably, but also is, is a little bit more about the relationship. So my members will address me as Pastor Allison. You know, I, I pastor to folks, it sort of speaks to the, the connections or the relationship that we have. And, and how, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. So what do you do? First of all, people come to you, they say, I need to speak to you. They want a private, like they need some, some guidance, yeah. right? Come to you in a private meeting. Mm-hmm. What, ha- what do you say to someone who's like so distraught with life? Maybe they be- believed in God, but now they had a, like a death or termin- terminally ill sickness. And they go, I don't believe in God anymore because they wouldn't do a thing like this. What do you say to someone like that? So in that moment, my, my role is to, is to listen and to, um, to weep with the person and to allow space for the hurt or the anger or the fear and uh, to offer a word of comfort if I can. Sometimes the bigger questions get addressed, not in the moment of crisis, but, but after you've lived through the crisis, right, and are ready to have a, a larger conversation. So what I'm going to say to you now, I might not say all of this to a person in the moment, <laughs> um, but the question that you're asking is sort of the age-old question. Uh, where, where is the God of love and mercy in, in the face of, of suffering? Right? And, and my answer to that is, is the one we call God or mystery or, or creator or holy one is right in the middle of it, right in the middle of the strain and the suffering. Um, when your heart breaks, so does God's. When people suffer, God weeps. But God also creates and enlivens and empowers and equips us to respond to find our way through suffering and to respond to suffering around us. So God is described in, in the book of Isaiah, one of the Hebrew Bible prophets, talks about God who longs to mend all things. God who wants to restore promises, to restore, to rebuild the city, to turn deserts back into a, a blooming wild place uh, and to gather all of the people, all the diverse people together on God's holy mountain. So that's where I hang my, my theological hat is on that promise that God is, is in the process right now of restoring creation. Part of what's hard here, I think, is we often picture, we often inherit an image of God as a kind of person only bigger and more powerful, oftentimes an old white guy with a beard <laughs> who's, who's micromanaging all the bits mm. and pieces of our lives like a puppeteer. Okay. And, and that's, that's where we get into trouble, right? Because when, when hard things happen, we go, that was, that was God noodling around or God should have noodled around to keep that from happening. But I don't think of God as that, um, you know, sort of individual that's managing us. God is this powerful source of love and hope 
and healing and reconciling and restoring in the universe. So wherever we find love and creativity and ingenuity and connection and comfort, uh, that's the spirit of God being expressed. So going back to that person in that moment who's feeling betrayed uh, or abandoned, uh, as a pastor, I'd say it's important to allow space for that. You know, um, I might also observe, although not in the moment, that getting mad at God is still an expression of faith. <laughs> yeah, there's so much the very fact that we have the question suggests that there may be a longing for some relationship with one that it feels like one has failed us. So then how do we find our way through that? And so then I look for the places that we can point, you know, where, where are the moments of comfort? Where is the, the strength that you are drawing in this devastating moment? Where, as you live through the crisis, can you look back and notice the moments where there was love or hope or healing? Um, there's that cliche of, you know, isn't there, there's no atheists in a foxhole during a war? You know, some of that, you know, I, <laughs> and I, I, I don't want to be flippant. I think it's yeah. it, it, part of what I think is important is to allow, allow for the anger or the dismissal or the hurt. But I, I, there is one who said, and I don't, and I don't remember whose this was, but it's not original to me. Tell me about the God you do not believe in. I probably don't believe in that God either. Hmm. That's good. So we sometimes get left, you know, sort of um, our, 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 um, in our development as people, spiritual people may still have the view of a Santa Claus God, right? Who sees me when I'm sleeping and knows when I'm awake and knows if I'm <laughs> bad or good. So I better be good for goodness sake. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's kind of how we think about God. And, and that does not help us when, when things go badly. Yeah. It's a deeper concept and just because yeah. we were brought up that way. I mean, we're not, you know, whatever our heritage, but it was, yeah, I remember going to Sunday school and that was it. Just, there's a little wake yeah, the guy with the beard and, but yeah. I'm also, you, you, I love this statement in the, in your, introduction also says we're more curious than certain why aren't you certain people would say you, you you've got to be certain you're the closest to the the divine that we have how could you not be certain so so we get the word belief is a tricky one and we confuse the word belief with certainty so i tend um these days to try to talk about what i trust in rather than what i believe um, because trust for me speaks about a relationship and not about the, the facts behind the relationship. We are by definition talking about mystery. Uh, I would suggest that anyone who says definitively that they know God's mind, um, is at minimum taking a mighty risk. <laughs> Uh, and by that, I don't mean a risk of being smitten, but I, I, how, how can we know? It is by definition um, 
finite beings trying to have a conversation about something that is that is infinite, that is that is mystery, that is um, vast and unknowable. So we we use metaphor, um, which is a great thing. I'm a lover of words and literature and art, and I think the more metaphors we can come up with for talking about God and and mystery, the better. Um, but sometimes we get confused and and start thinking of those metaphors as the actual fact, right? That's where we get the old man with the white beard. That was one metaphor that somehow became the central metaphor, and all of a sudden we can't speak of God as um, as she, as a powerful um, female source force in the world, because we have this image of a bearded man. So I think certainty gets us in trouble. Um, I do think that there's value in uh, exploring our convictions, uh, in making claims about what is just in the world and, and where we long for mercy. And uh, I think we need to say, for example, in this season right now, um, we are, uh, all of us, caught up in the vagaries of systemic racism that has been a part of our history. We can name that, we can name it with certainty. And, um, and I would say, given all that I understand God to be, that, that God uh, is dismayed by expressions of racism, Again, it goes back to that longing for healing and reconciliation and that we're called, therefore, as people of faith to do the work of being anti-racist. So I'm okay being certain about that. Uh, and then let's have a conversation about how we lean into that and do that work together. Um, I'm less okay saying God, anything about, perhaps about you. I'm less okay saying God condemns you because of a choice you made or a person that you are. That's just not mine to declare. Happy to say the opposite. Happy to say you are created and loved by God and let's celebrate that. Start there. That seems safe. <laughs> it's nicer anyhow. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, it is not mine to know how God uh, sorts it all out uh, in the end. And uh, I don't think it serves us. To... So in just a day-to-day -day practical, how, you know, we're in the pandemic. How do you comfort your congregation? Are, are you doing uh, people allowed in the church now to any degree? Or you do, do you do Zoom, uh, Zoom uh, sermons? Yeah, we, we do. We are all online uh, at the moment, although we are just beginning in July to uh, experiment with small outdoor gatherings with appropriate physical distancing and masks. Our number one commitment is to preserving the, the, the safety, the health and well-being of our community, not just the Sagatuck Church community, but our wider community. So we have been... Um, our building has been closed since early in the pandemic, but, but our church is open in that we have continued to gather in a variety of ways online where we hold prayer gatherings and Bible study and social gatherings. And we release a worship on YouTube every Sunday morning. 
so that we are connecting with with uh, everybody who wants to reach us online. Zoom is nice because then we can actually see each other and have conversations. So we have a Zoom get together every Sunday after the YouTube worship. Uh, so we do a lot of talking about the fact that church is more than the building. And uh, while we desperately miss being with each other, it's really hard such a new thing for us to be living through a crisis where we can't comfort each other in person, right? Because our impulse always is to want to be together in, in a time of crisis. And that's exactly what we can't do right now. Uh, we also are doing, so because of that, we're doing more making phone calls and checking in with each other. We have a, a team of what we call um, our deacons who do some of that outreach and checking in along with me. So on a practical level, we just keep looking for ways to connect with each other um, and uh, offer comfort as we can. And part of that, I think, is articulating our purpose together so that we're not adrift, uh, but can take this time and say, so what do we know now about what it means to be community and build community? And how are we called to do that in the world in this season? Yeah, community doesn't dissolve just because you're not under the same roof. Um, but tell us about this, curious about this uh, online baptism you performed. <laughs> <laughs> how does that work? So, you know, never say never. <laughs> One of one of my lessons from the pandemic, uh, if you had asked me two months ago what was what was essential about Christian life, I would have said, you know, there are some things, some rituals that that we can only uh, experience in person. Baptism seems like one of those. Right? I physically pour water on somebody <laughs> and I and I lay hands on and, and offer prayers of blessing. Um, we have eighth and ninth graders every year who go through a confirmation class, which in our tradition is kind of part two to a baptism, right? So oftentimes, although not always, uh, we baptize infants or children. When that's the case, then they get to decide for themselves when they're 13 or 14 or 15, whether they want to um, live into the promises that their parents made on their behalf. So is this journey one that I want to claim for myself? So that's confirmation. And uh, almost every year, there are some young people in confirmation who were not baptized as children. So we include the baptism as, as sort of step one. Uh, baptism, which is an act of affirming that, that you're created and loved by God. It doesn't turn you into somebody different. It's just a, a, an act of blessing and a reminder. So we start with that. In this case, uh, because we were doing confirmation in a YouTube, in a, a Zoom environment where we could all see each other, and the young person in question had his parents and older brother with him. So I offered the words of prayer, and then his family members were the ones who physically poured the water on his head. <laughs> Um, and repeated the words after me, you know, so I did the, I baptize you in the name of the father and mom poured some water on his head and said, father. And I said, and in the name of the son and father 
water on his head instead of the name of the son and instead of the name of the Holy Spirit and the big brother put water on his head instead of the name of the Holy Spirit. I think that counts. It was, it was, it was fun. It was deeply meaningful. And as maybe you all have found, I know I've been surprised um, that there's some real human intimacy that's possible even on Zoom. Well, we've learned to, yeah. How about the beach uh, sermons? The beach, uh, does that still happen? You... So we will not be gathering for mm -hmm. the uh, beach worship that involves five congregations this summer uh, because we collectively decided that we couldn't both offer a wide open and extravagant welcome and uh, manage within the the parameters for uh, safe outdoor gatherings. Uh, we, most of us, are using the 25 to 50 person guideline for size of outdoor gatherings and still feel that we need to take the lead in, in modeling um, caution and uh, prioritizing those most vulnerable populations. And it didn't feel like the right move to say, well, we'll hold a gathering, but when person 51 shows up, we'll tell them they can't come, right? Um, yeah. And so instead we've said, each of our churches is finding ways of gathering this summer and there will be some smaller gatherings. I'll be hosting a theology at the beach uh, oh. on Tuesday night, actually, which is usually a gathering hmm. 15 people or so, and we'll sit in our beach chairs at an appropriate distance with our masks and have an interesting conversation together and get a little beach time. That's, that's great. We only have a few minutes left. This is, I have a silly question to end with, or you, you can end with any statement you want or tell people what, you know, what, what's coming, uh, what, what your hope is for the church coming up. But I was curious what your favorite God movie was. You know, those Bruce, I only get to think of Bruce Almighty and was it Oh God with George Burns? Was that the name? Oh, so Alanis Morissette, what did she do? Remember Alanis Morissette? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, what's not to love about a, a, a God who, you know, dances and does cartwheels and <laughs> yeah. uh, sort of brings a, uh, a joy and, and levity to being divine. I love that. Um, but I don't remember the name of the movie. So oh, okay. To, yeah, I don't either. I could only... Look it up real quick. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'll have to go find it. Um, I tend not to be crazy about the, the historical films that, mm. that reinforce particular images that have been overused in Christian tradition. The parting clouds the and the whole thing. The guy in a robe and the yeah, the guy, right. right. So I, I tend to respond <laughs> to feel a little unorthodox. Mm. Uh, I think, uh, I, I think uh, humor is a good thing too. We sometimes think that faith and humor don't belong together. And, and I beg to differ. I think uh, that's good. Yeah. irreverent humor is, is uh, good for the soul. <laughs> yeah. That's a great common out. There's a great commonality to humor, which crosses all sorts of lines. But, um, well, thank you so much. And let's see if Thanks. parting sentence or two, or you want to, we're, we can say goodbye and wish the church well and you well. And I know you've been through a lot with the fire and now this, and, um, 
but your uh, institution there with you know the most picture it's you know it's the postcard church it's people don't know ever want to know well, where is it and you just say it's the postcard on on, on the post road. I, I used to practice my drums in that church for a whole oh, did you? A downstairs this look in the 70s and he goes yeah. I was looking for a place to practice he says you can practice in the stage you know where the, you have the art exhibits back there uh -huh. and I was like so nice of him and I'd come there every day and practice and finally someone stole my drums <laughs> and I tracked down the guy my dad I mean we go to the kids house and we got most of it back except for one symbol <laughs> how uh, symbolic huh? it was amazing I, I yeah I got to play it. I love that there's some good acoustics there actually you try yeah. try playing drums in the sanctuary these days the acoustics in there are fantastic too I uh, this is this is a lot of fun. I really appreciate you extending the invite. One of the things that's been clear to me from day one as a pastor here, and I'm I'm in year eight, uh, is that there's a, a really lovely relationship between this church and and the town of Westport, and a lot of remarkable partners, community partners, with whom we have uh, shared work and play over the years and who helped us out in all kinds of ways when we were displaced by the fire. And um, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I, I love that about this town. I love our interfaith community and my interfaith colleagues. Uh, and I love, you, you began this conversation by asking about curiosity. And one of the things I really value is the inquisitiveness of the folks in this town and the number of community conversations I've been in where that, where I get to bear witness to that. So uh, thank you for including me in this. And, and it's just one more reminder of how much I value our Westport ties. Well, and thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate your, your openness and welcoming all, the, all of us, the rest of us. We're still, still doubting and questioning, but. If you... Uh, you bet, always. Okay. Get the conversation going. Thanks, Allison. All right. Bye.